Hey, you're on the rag. Welcome to the rag. We are chatting with Leslie Dixon about puberty and the sort of parent and child dynamic around sex education, talking about the talk and whether or not that exists. And from what I remember, she's from Orange County. Yes. Yeah, she's from Orange County. And I think like the one thing um, that has been interesting about COVID is that we have been able to reach out to so many different people that we normally wouldn't be able to talk to because we had predominantly prior to COVID, be, uh, we were recording the podcast in person in the studio. So it's really cool to kind of have the opportunity to talk to someone um, from Orange County. And whenever I think Orange County, I just think of the OC. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> which reminds me of puberty. So it's kind of perfect. Oh, there you go. It ties in beautifully. And, uh, <laughs> and what she was explaining to us before the podcast is she's actually from a very like conservative region. So she's coming at sexual health in a way that, you know, the parents in that area will understand, appreciate, and not feel like too bombarded with because it's not something that is talked about a lot where she is which was interesting because here on the island, we're like, let's talk about it. And everyone seems pretty, not everyone, but like, you know, it's not as taboo, it seems. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think she's doing some really cool work and uh, definitely recommend following her on Instagram and everything, which we will mention at the end of the podcast. So enjoy our chat with Leslie. Oh, yeah, we are joined with Leslie, who is uh, the founder of Birds and Bees Connection and has been, what is it, 25 years working as a school nurse and then also in the sexual education side? Well, the first part of my career was a uh, school nurse. Yeah. Um, and then I would go into the classrooms and teach this. And that that part about parents and children not talking after I would teach this wonderful class. And then 20 years ago, I started this birds and bees connection full time. So this is, I don't do school school nursing anymore. I do this full time. And like you said, that, that connection between the children and their parents, once you finished doing that in class sexual education, there was like a gap that you're you're explaining. And was that why you started your business? Was that there, we need to kind of bridge that gap? Absolutely. I would teach these classes and the kids were, they were asking questions. They were curious. They wanted the, this answers. They wanted to be, they wanted to be helped to understand what puberty and sexuality was all about. Mm-hmm. And then I would prep the parents. And I knew that they would go home. And this is how I always start my classes with the parents. Now, your child went home and you would say to them, so what did you learn? And then the child would say nothing. And that would be the end of the conversation. <laughs> and nothing would happen after that. And then the child would be on their own. And I just thought, how sad. I mean, this is such an important topic. This is such an important rite of passage that they need to be connected together. That's where the connection came from. And that's when I said, I'm going to start this business and have courses for parents and children starting at fourth grade because I wanted to get them before puberty happened, Mm -hmm. before, you know, all these things, these physical and emotional changes started to happen. And then they had no place to go. And these kids already are scared and concerned about what puberty is going to look like. It's been a great trip. Um, I love having parents and children. They walk into my classroom and they're, they're like shell-shocked. 
You know, what is this class going to be about? Sometimes their parents have told them, sometimes not. And they walk into my class, and but, you mm-hmm. know, you could just see them. You can see them just sort of drop into these classes. And it's very interactive. It's lots of fun. It's lots of humor and talking. And about quarter way through, they just start to relax and they're laughing. And by the time they le- they leave my class, there's such a a change in the environment and in their their demeanor and their energy. It's like, oh, now I can relax. Now it's going to be okay. And that's truly a gift. I I love that because I think like puberty is kind of like the big P word. You know what I mean? Where you're like, you know about it. You kind of understand it a bit. You see it in your like older neighbors or your siblings, but you don't quite understand it. And, you know, speaking from someone who's gone through puberty, like it is such a time. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It is. I like, I think it's so funny when people go, oh, I wish I was young again. Like, I wish I was in high school or middle school again. And I'm like, absolutely not. I do not miss those random pimples I would get on my face. I do not miss my, like, attitude that I was like, no one gets me. I'm in this alone. And, uh, you know, just like your, like, hot second takes because your body is going through such enormous change. um, But you don't have, like, the ability to realize what that change is especially if you're not taking courses or like understanding that with your parents. I think that's a huge piece to it. I always say to them, there's no off button. You know, you have to go through puberty. And I think there's such fear, concern, um, overwhelmness about this whole thing. And even with social media now, there's all this misconception about what this is all about. And here's the classic one. And so I asked the girls, you know, so how many girls here know a little bit about puberty? This is my fourth grade class. And some of them raise their hand. And then I say to them, how many are excited about going through puberty? (laughs) No one raises their hand. And then I say to them, okay, so I'm curious, because that's what I do. I ask all the questions. Is what is it about puberty that, that you're not excited about? And I would say most of them say the same thing. I'm going to bleed. I'm bleeding. (laughs) And I, I have to smile. And then I say to them, by the end of this class, you're going to understand it's not what you think it is. Because I think for all of us, we all think we're bleeding. We see blood. Mm -hmm. We're not bleeding. There's no cut. And I think girls need to understand that it's, and I, I teach anatomy, what it is and how important this is. And when it leaves your body, it was meant to leave your body, but you're not bleeding, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And they get this sense of normalcy about this whole thing. Once we've got it on the table, we talk about all these things. We laugh about all these things. You know, moms and daughters share. It's a very different experience. And you were mentioning earlier that kids want to learn about this stuff. They are so eager to know because 
you know, at that age, you're confused and you're not entirely sure what's happening and you are curious about sex and you're curious about your body and what it's going to look like and what that means for you growing up. But it felt like, I don't know if you guys can speak to your own experiences going through puberty and maybe we can do a little share circle of, you know, what our puberty experiences were like. Oh, I'd love to share. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. I'll start with mine. I mean, I was very, you know, lucky and, and grateful to be in the situation that I was in growing up. You know, I had two older sisters. They were super helpful when it came to puberty they had just gone through everything to you know two years before me and were able to kind of like be like jen i got you a tampon i got you your first bra like i saved up my pennies for you you know that sort of thing so they always had my back and but i remember being so excited for sex ed when it was sex ed week like we only did it for a week at our at our school and i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna learn everything and i'm gonna like take notes and i want to know what a blowjob is i want to know if i can get pregnant by giving a blowjob i don't know i didn't realize you know and i didn't know anything and i was really really curious and excited but you were excited about the oh, word. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was a horny little bugger growing up. Like, I was <laughs> humping everything. <laughs> and so um, I remember being so disappointed during our sex ed class because it was our gym teacher who came in and he was like um also the soccer coach and he was he was just filled with just toxic masculinity and was all bro yeah. and would like laugh at the girls when we were doing PE with the bros like he was just a bro in the in the worst way um, right. not someone I ever felt like I could go to to talk about anything and here he sure. was with uh, you know the wooden right. penis in front right. of the class let's put a condom and let's put a condom on it but he was so nervous about it and was clearly uncomfortable right. talking about it so he actually just stopped the class like he was so physically uncomfortable talking about penises and vaginas and sex with teens that he just couldn't do it and uh it was so disappointing because like we all had questions we all wanted answers um but it just turned into a giggle fest he went bright red and then we didn't do it for the rest of the for the rest of the week and it was incredibly disappointing and that was really the only moment I really remember talking about sex in, in class was just this weak excuse for sexual education in this classroom when, you know, he he probably was in a weird position. He probably didn't want to do that. And he probably wasn't, you know, um, educated in that manner and trained. That's 30 kids that just didn't get an education that day. I mean, because I've been adults. in this field so long um, and I've seen it all and I see how hungry young people are to get the right information. Now they may be squirmy and they may make, you know, funny faces, but in reality, they really do want to get this information and they want a teacher or a parent who's willing to be really, really honest and upfront with them because they're curious. And so now what we have is the new sex educator and that's the internet. And the challenge with that is when young people start searching on the internet, sometimes they go down that rabbit hole of pornography. And Mm -hmm. that's a different kind of sex educator. And you can't undo, you know, what you see on pornography. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me the saddest. When parents are too afraid Um, ill-equipped to have this conversation and the schools and the schools aren't having it, then where can they go? 
That's a really good point, Leslie. I know um, one kind of topic that has come up um, like among like kind of the communities that we speak to and is the whole conversation around parents buying ethical porn for their kids. And, uh, you know, like sometimes people have like their different opinions of it, but there's a lot of like talk about you know having very real conversations with your kids of like porn isn't real sex like that is that is fake sex that is that is not yeah it's performative sex it's not looking at checking in with your partner it doesn't talk about consent it doesn't talk about you know what feels good intimacy like what feels good to you what feels good to them it really focuses on that male-centric ejaculation at the end which like we all know we've all had sex that is not what sex is every single time you have sex nor should it be but or how women are treated also Hmm. Yeah. And and from my own experience as well, because I was so curious and I didn't get that education, I went to pornography as like a young girl. And I sure. thought like that was one of my first ever, you know, realizations of what sex was and what what it looked like. And I was like, oh, this is what it looks like. This is what I can expect when I'm an adult. I didn't realize that there was any difference between what porn was mm-hmm. and what it is in real life and what you should expect. Now, something's very interesting. This is sort of a little sidebar, which I find interesting, is do you know who the most successful authors are? Authors that women often will go to. Is it romance novels? Soft porn romance uh, (laughs) novels. Because there's that combination of what idolized love looks like and the sexuality part that goes along with it. Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, nobody, nobody thought that Fifty Shades of Grey was going to do <laughs> what it did. No one. And yet they, it did because that's that, that what we would like sex to look like. Mm-hmm. The writing for like women. It. That's right. And that's what's missing in porn a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now it's changing and it's it's nice to see that there is an industry for women and for everyone and for all sort of, you know, representation, which is, sure. is good to see. But that's the thing is like we have just been like, OK, porn isn't for us. You know, it's not for us because it's for men. This is what men want to see, apparently, or this is what they're pushing men to want. Yeah, I think that that is that's the sad part about when youth and children aren't getting proper sexual education or puberty education because you just see what you see on TV. And I think, um, you know, that creates a lot of challenges also with just like understanding what your body does and also like understanding what bodies look like because puberty is crazy your body goes through things I got boobs in grade six like and people are like why you got boobs in grade six and I was like yeah I got boobs in grade six so my experience was Mm. I also went through puberty very very young um and no one to talk to and a lot of things were going on and we uh, we had the fifth grade class Um, where they separated the boys and girls and closed the windows. And, you know, it was very, you know, do-do-do. Ominous. (laughs) Yes, ominous. You know, and then, but this is the corker. The corker was, it was a Disney movie. You can still see it. That's how old it is. Yeah, that one. But it was, it was narrated by Jiminy Cricket. Oh my gosh. And I will never forget, I walked out of that place and I thought to myself, what does Jiminy Cricket have to do with me going, I'm a girl. 
that's a boy cricket. It's a cricket, first of all. And it's a boy cricket. And he doesn't know what I'm going to go through. And it was just mind boggling. But I got my period at Girl Scout camp. There's an island called Catalina Island, and it's off of Los Angeles. That's where the Catalina wine mixer is? Is that right? Oh, no, that's just from a movie, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I know where your head's at. Get her okay. another bottle. Okay, uh, now, this is where a bunch of wild boars live. Oh. Um, but there was a Girl Scout camp there. And I got my period there. And I couldn't tell anyone. And I didn't, I didn't have a clue what to do. I didn't have a clue or who to talk to. And I think that's part of why I do what I do. When young people get to the point that they are sexual, they know what to do. And that's mm-hmm. my other challenge is that young people who reach that point where they're feeling these things, they have no context. They have no education of how to deal with it. And so it shows up in these negative, challenging ways. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way sexuality should be. And whether it's gay, straight, bi, trans, whatever it is, we should be able to talk about sexuality because in my life, my mind, it's a continuum. Sexuality mm-hmm. is a continuum. There is no black or white. It's these whole rainbow of experiences about our sexuality mm-hmm. that we should be able to express. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because there's so much, to, at least here in the United States, so much taboo around. Yeah. yeah. When do you feel that kids start or like youth start asking you about like sexuality and those like, are they curious from grade four? You know, as Jenny said, humping pillows, <laughs> wanting to know BJ's like when when does that because honestly, I don't have a lot of exposure to that age of kids in my and I wish I remembered more from my own experience, but I really don't. So in fourth grade, I think, and I I teach this, it's called puberty or guy talk. And that class is really about the basics. You know, I think it's, it's the blooming part. It's the thing they're starting to transition into that, whether it be emotional changes or some of the basic first changes. And so that class is all about giving them the context, the foundation to feel comfortable both them and their parents, both of them. So, and then I see it start to transition from that point. I think fifth grade, um, first of all, they hear more on the playground. They're more, they have more access to social media. Um, I think that's when it starts to change. And oftentimes when I'm teaching a boys class, they've heard about BJ. They may not know what it is, Um, In fact, this class I'm teaching now, that conversation about having a conversation about what it really means, having a conversation about what oral sex really means, having a conversation about masturbation, Mm -hmm. these topics that no one wants to talk about, but it's part of their sexuality. And instead of engaging in early sexual behavior, like early blowjobs or oral sex or anything like that understanding the the physical consequence the emotional consequence all these consequences that go along with it that's really important and then you have the older ones middle school high school or high school that 
are sexually drawn to, you know, another person and they don't have the information about all the things that go along with it, the intimacy of it, as you were saying, Crystal, the Mm -hmm. understanding the risks of it, because they're not willing to have open conversation with their, their partners. I mean, I often joke about that. How many high schoolers are going to sit their partners down and go, hey, I'm going to tell you all about my sexual history. You're (laughs) going to share your sexual history. And then we're going to go to a clinic and get checked out. Come on. Yeah. And you you were talking about like the risks around everything. And I feel like at that age, like in high school, that was the thing that was like drilled into our mind was like, here are all the risks and there's nothing good about sex. Like this is almost like a, a scary thing that you are going to involve yourself in in the next few years or maybe not whenever you decide to do it. But here's all the risks. You can get STDs, Mm -hmm. you can get diseases. This is what your vagina will look like if you get this STI, you know? And like, you're gonna get pregnant no matter what. And you better not get pregnant. And like all these things, right? It's fear. Like we were kind of taught to like, just be afraid of sex. So we never wanted to talk about it. And that's like what you said, it like adds to the stigma and it it creates shame. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's something that, yeah, we need to be able to talk more of. And I'm, I'm seeing more of that in sexual health education, at least in BC, where we live, like in British Columbia, um, that that's kind of being more open and it's not it's not a scary topic anymore. It's changing, but it's changing slowly here. So there's okay. a, a couple of pieces to this that, that you mentioned. One, you're right. When you teach sexual sex ed from a place of fear, it doesn't work. I mean, we've had fear-based, you know, sex education programs mm-hmm. and they have failed. If you teach if you teach sex education, you teach any of this from a place of critical thinking. Well, what do you think? Here are the situations. What do you think? What are the risks? And let's talk about it. We don't give young people enough credit for what they know and their capability to drop into making good choices if we empower them and educate them. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way the education has always looked. It's been fear-based. It's don't do it because this is going to happen to you. I come from that place of critical thinking. I come from that place of let's talk about this and give you options and empower you to go to a clinic and to ask for help instead mm-hmm. of just saying, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one other thing, and I, uh, I just need to throw this in. This is important. We have seen a difference in, during the pandemic. They can't have sex, so they're having sex online. You know, the, the level of internet sex or, you know, that kind of sex is what's shown up because they haven't been able to get together Um, And it's got its positives and it's got its challenges. Uh, The one thing that I I think is really missing in like at least the sexual health experience that I had growing up as a kid and youth um, was if you do get an STI, what do you do? What's the next steps? What do you do? And I think that's something that, you know, gets left out of the conversation. Well, it gets left out of the conversation because then you're talking about being sexually active. And <laughs> there's the taboo. As long as we don't talk about it, you mean you can talk about STDs. If you do this, this is what you're going to get. and You're going to get blah, blah, blah. But then we don't have an honest, honest conversation about sexual intercourse. And yes, no one else is going to take care of your sexual health besides yourself. No, and we don't empower young people 
to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we teach classes and also young people don't think it's going to happen to them. There are 10 million cases in the United States of STIs. That's wow. almost half wow. of the young people in the United States. It's, it's like just a regular sickness. You know, we know how to prevent it. Um, it's not fun to get. Well, be straight up. It's not fun. It's not like an enjoyable thing to get, but it is part of life and it does come with living and being sexually active. And it's just a part of it. And if we can deal with it in the way it needs to be dealt with and come out safe and healthy and make sure that everyone involved is safe and healthy, then it's okay. And it's not a scary thing. It's just another thing that we have to deal with as a human being. I think we have this fear because this is, you know, we're talking about starts, it really starts in high school, is having these honest conversations. And one of the things I say is you have to realize that evolution has not changed. We are still hardwired in our teens to be sexually active and to procreate. Mm -hmm. it, evolution doesn't change. Mm -hmm. We may not get married until our 20s and 30s. You may not have babies until your 40s. But evolution hasn't changed how our brain functions, and that's why we're sexualized. And then we see things, it sexualizes even more, and then we don't talk about it. And there's all these levels and levels and levels of taboos around it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to get past. And we're having a challenging time with it. Yes. And that's exactly mm -hmm. it. Like how you said, we haven't changed as humans, but what has changed is the pressures that we've put on through like society, through culture, um, that has changed and it is changing constantly. It's constantly evolving. Um, and, you know, I was actually wa looking at this article today. It was in the CBC and I was like, oh, this is a great article. It's about this show that was talking about teen sexuality. And this mother had written this article about like, oh, I'm actually excited to show my kids this this, this new TV show about sexuality because it, it covers everything and it, it seemed like it was actually pretty good. So I recommend it. And I was looking in the comments, which is just not a good idea to do ever. But I do like <laughs> to look in the comments and kind of, you know, shake myself a little bit because I am living in a bubble and I think that everyone thinks the same way as me because I surround myself with people who also think you know the same right. way as me so I do right. love to look right. into the comments never comment but you know just to just to get a temperature of like how other people see things and where we are as a society and I was just so disappointed by the you know older generation who was commenting on the CBC article and just saying that like how how dare you show that to your 15 year old they should not be seeing sex until they're at least 18 how dare you even um, present sex at all as a topic to people who are under the age of 18 years old and i was just baffled that they could not see the positive of talking about these things and and just completely ignore the fact that when they were 15 they wanted to have sex and that absolutely they wanted to explore their own sexuality and talk about these things and were curious and wanted to know about these things so it's just wild how like people are still just trying to suppress that feeling it's just like a natural human thing is this the show the english show the one with jillian there is a, a one that one season last year and it is amazing. Yeah, okay. Is, I can't find the name of it, but I'll look into uh, it. Yeah, yeah. I think it... We'll share it in the credits. I think <laughs> it's called Sex Ed, and it's with Jillian... Um, yes, yes, yeah, from X-Files. From X-Files. And yeah. it is... It is so, it's so in your good. Face. It is so in your face, but I 
loved it. I just loved it because it was so honest hmm. and it was so, this is the way it is. And if you don't think that this is the way it is, you know, then you are, you're deluding yourself and people from here in the States are going to look at that like, Oh, it's only in the, the English only act like this. Hmm. And it's, it's not. And I think it's so raw. I just loved, I just loved it. And I think I did a blog on it as a matter of nice. fact. Nice. <laughs> I love it. it. There is this confusion between like sexualization and just talking about sexual health in general. And like you can have the conversation around sexual health at like, you know, young ages, like what you're doing with your classes and things like sure. that, you know. Um, I do want to talk about um, your classes. And I, I was specifically want to talk about like the the parent side of it because I know that as a parent it can be like really overwhelming like when do I teach my kids certain lessons when is it appropriate to talk about these things what what do I do you know you're you're teaching them everything when it comes to life and I think like one of the questions that I see online a lot is like when is a good age well first of all there is no talk everybody says Mm. you're going to have the talk there is no talk it's an ongoing conversation that really starts when you have a young child you know, it, sexuality, remember I said is this continuum. And so sexuality, this conversation starts very young. It starts with uh, proper terminology, feeling comfortable in their body, never shaming them. I mean, these are part of early sex education that isn't the talk. But I think when we start to look at the talk or we start to look at um, educating them as far as puberty, um, I think it needs to start young. Um, in one of my classes, um, it's late third grade, early fourth grade for girls because puberty is starting younger. There are hmm. three reasons that puberty and girls are starting younger. Obesity um, and hormonal disruptors, you know, the things that we put on our body hmm. and stress. And so it is starting younger and they are hearing things. So you need to start having early conversations about the changes that are going to happen to your body. And back to that word celebrating. It's how, what, what you use, how you use it, your body language. And oftentimes I'll say, especially to moms, you need to be careful about how you talk about yourselves. This is also about self-esteem. It's all sort of wrapped up, but I think, no later than fourth grade, you have start to have this conversation with both girls and boys about what's going to change in your body. You know, what are the physical changes? What are the emotional changes? And to understand that the, what this is caused by, they're caused by hormones, they're caused by genes. You know, this is educating them about what's going to happen to empower them um, to understand I'm feeling certain things. I'm experiencing certain things. What do I do about it? And I think especially for girls and boys, especially the first change is emotional changes. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with in two seconds, you could be angry, mad, sad, happy, frustrated, you know, ready to kill somebody. Um, And what you do about it. And it's this open dialogue. So for parents is finding ways to get comfortable. And that's one of my first online classes that I'm creating is if you're having a challenge with this topic, these are some things you can do about it. Don't let this stop you. Mm. 
don't let your issues, your concerns, your inadequacy stop you from talking with your children because they need you. They desperately need you. So puberty, um, anatomy, you know, for a girl, what's all girls think that babies grow in their, their stomachs. And mm-hmm. I make this, this joke, do you know where your stomach is? Your stomach's up here. If you had a baby up here, there'd be a hand coming out of your <laughs> mouth. Come on, guys. Yeah. So humor, humor is very important. So explaining to them this whole anatomy and what this is all about and how amazing this is. So you don't have to do it like your science teacher. Mm-hmm. You can do it with joy and you can do it with humor. And I think we need to get to that point. So that's fourth grade. Fifth and sixth grade, I hit them full on. We go through puberty. <laughs> we go through periods. I talk about what's happened to girls. I talk about what's happened to the boys. I talk about masturbation. I talk about, you know, um, we do do a thing on self-esteem and social media because it all ties in. And then I talk about where babies come from. And I don't, and I use the word sexual intercourse because I think the teen world tends to use the term sex and it's missing the exactly what you were saying crystal it's missing the context of intimacy of what sex of sexuality and being sexually active really mean and in a teen world it's more sex so when i talk about it and i talk about it in the context of you know parents preparing for having a baby and realizing that you know, this may start earlier, you know, but this is the starting context of how amazing this, this physical experience is between two people. I'll go and I will end with that. It doesn't always look like two heterosexual people, you know, but we start with this. You will never, ever be that close to any human being. And I think that understanding this, this how sacred it is and how amazing it is when is the right time when you're both on the same page and you're willing to communicate about it and have that experience in a more mature way, it is amazing. You know, orgasms are amazing. And women also need to experience their own bodies before they let anyone touch their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, you, our bodies are amazing. I really invite women to experiment and, and explore their bodies because that's what you want to be able to speak to when you're sexually intimate. Then I do a PowerPoint presentation on fetal development. But the, the funniest piece of mine is when I teach about male ejaculation do you know how many sperm are released in a teaspoon of sperm? Mm. Either of you know? I have no clue. I don't know, like a million? <laughs> 60 million no. to 600 million. Oh, my goodness. In no. a teaspoon. Tiny little suckers. <laughs> Tiny little suckers. Um, and why? Because most of them aren't going to make it. Only about 100 to 200 actually make it to the mm. egg. One makes it to the egg. So I have them sort of take that in. And I say, okay, I want you to hear that. Because everyone in this room is one out of 60 million. Yeah. That's how amazing this all is. That's how how, how, how unique we all are. And that's what I want them to really celebrate is our uniqueness. 
um, when, when I talk about sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about oral sex and anal sex, it's again, this, this is a physical connection between two people, but it's, mm-hmm. there's, mat- there's gotta be maturity around this because this, this can evoke all kinds of things can be pleasurable, but it also can be physically challenging. It can be emotionally challenging if you're going at, in it at, for the wrong reasons. So I think that's part of the conversation, you know, that, that I bring up as well. So parents need to know this. So the beauty of these classes then is the parent sits there hearing the same thing the child is getting. And I'm sure they're learning a lot, too. They're learning a lot, too. (laughs) Unless I have... My father-son classes tend to be sometimes a challenge. There's always that father. (laughs) And I have one in my class right now. um, (laughs) Who just... He's just got to be the bravado and the... And the the comments. And it's like, oh, really? Um, Maybe just masking some, you know, internal uncomfort. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard in the male classes. The fathers are a little bit more uncomfortable. The moms are much more comfortable. Um, But the point of it is, is if you are in that room, you are hearing the same thing your child's hearing. You're watching how they interact. And then I say to them, I've opened the door for you. You have a choice. You can continue having teachable moments with your child. Open conversations, driving in the car, having dates, wherever the case may be. And that will bring you closer. And that will help your child to know they can always come to you. Because that's really the goal of my classes. It's your choice whether you're going to do it or not at this point. And that really clicked there when you said, okay, now that you have this class and you just experienced together, it's up to you now to do what you want with that conversation. Because like even something like you said, just being in the car and being like, oh, what did you think of that? Like, did you like it? What did you like about it? That sort of thing. Just having a casual conversation, it can be something that you turn to and use as a tool moving forward with your relationship. And I also Mm -hmm. loved what you said about just removing the talk in general, because there's so much pressure. And like, I remember hearing about the, the talk and I never really got it with my parents. Like, it was it, it was really through my sisters and I was really, really thankful and grateful for them because it was just a constant conversation that we were having as sisters. But the idea of the talk is like super scary for the parent. They, they're they terrified of the talk and they're nervous. Their palms are sweating and they know that it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And that makes the kid even more uncomfortable because they have no idea what the heck is going on and what all, all this means and everything. So removing that idea of the talk and when to have it, I think is like huge. But you may have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old come up to you and go, where do babies come from? I've often had that conversation is what do I do if my child comes up to me? Well, first of all, you you, you figure out whether or not they're really asking what hospital or what city they were (laughs) born in versus, you know, actually where babies came from. But we're so afraid of having a conversation. First of all, when you tell it to a four-year-old, you know, mommy and daddy love each other. One of the ways we can show we love each other is getting very close and daddy has a penis that goes inside the mommy's vagina. And this is our way of showing love. And sometimes we have babies. Okay. All right. I mean, big deal. They're not going to take it like an adult. They're going to go, oh, ooh. And you know, it's, it's like you've given them the 
honest answer. Mm -hmm. And again, they'll take in what they can and Mm -hmm. whatever they can't, they at least know they can come to you and you're not telling them any fib or telling them you'll get back to them, you know, when they're 25 years old. We're so afraid of, of saying those things. We're so afraid we're going to damage them. We're going to say something that's going to damage them. It's not going to damage them. It's going to damage them if they don't say something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You were mentioning that you wanted like to kind of end on a certain note, just talking about there's, you know, all different kinds of ways that you can see sex and everything. Because what I've noticed, you know, just growing up um, with the education that I've received is it's all very like hetero centric. You know, I'm I was a kid who I'm like a, a straight woman, cis woman, and I had, you know, these these ideas that I, oh, like, I think I am sexually attracted to women, but I didn't know what that meant, and, like, you know, and I can imagine being a kid while getting, like, pummeled with all this new information, and everything is just, like, you have to love a man, you have to love a woman, and, you know, this is what it's going to be like as an adult, and I can imagine that could be really challenging as a kid growing up who is, you know, wanting to explore their, you know, sexual preferences and realizing that they don't fit into that heteronormative mold. Yeah, it's a big challenge here. Nobody wants to talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. and it, no, I take it back. The parents don't want to talk about it. The kids want to talk about it. Yeah. They're perfectly okay talking about it. They're comfortable talking about it. In fact, because they can, it's becoming more comfortable to talk in a group about it. It's not as taboo. It's not afraid of how they're going to be, you know, uh, responded to. Um, but it has to be talked about because it exists. And if we don't, we're putting our heads in the sand and we're doing a terrible disservice, not only to those kids, but to all kids to understand that, again, I go back to this, there is no black or white sexuality because we could be heterosexual and, and there may be some feelings toward, towards a woman, you know, and it doesn't mean we're bi or, or we're gay or whatever the case may be. It, it's feelings. These are part of our feelings that change they change throughout our life. They change even from moment to moment. And that's part of sexuality. So I think we need to address that. And I have to be perfectly honest, I had to go back into my all my um, handouts and materials and go take a really, really honest, good look. And even some of the things I say, and I've had to change that. I mean, for years, I used the same typical language. And now I need to re-even program me and retrain me because it's not okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's nice seeing that people who were, you know, brought up and taught a certain way. Like for me, I was taught, you know, in that like heteronormative sort of way um, that we are able to look back and reflect and be like, oh, no, we can actually grow and we can learn from you know our own mistakes and and we can I don't know progress and I, I do want to talk a little bit about like where you are regionally too because you were mentioning before the podcast that you're in a very conservative area and I can imagine having those sort of, sort of more open conversations can be challenging when people you know grew up a certain way or um, have certain beliefs or, or views. It's funny one of the questions I always ask the parents is all right so how many of you feel like when you were your child's age you got all the information, the comfort, preparedness for going through puberty. 1% raise their hand. 
So how can you expect most parents to be prepared to have these conversations? And so for that, I'm very um, sensitive. Um, but that being said, the parents who come to my classes are the unique ones. They're the small percentage of the parents who want to do something. And yes, some of them are very conservative and I, uh, you know, totally, you know, accept that and honor that. Mm -hmm. And then I have parents who go, I don't care what you say to them. I want to hear it all. I want you to tell it all. Mm -hmm. And I go to that direction. So I swing both ways. It's a challenge. And I have to be sensitive to that. I'm just so grateful for the parents who come to my classes because they really do want to be able to talk with their children. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to do something and they feel very helpless and they're there to get the information so they can continue. But that's a small percentage to be perfectly honest. I don't see the majority. And those are the kids who are really struggling. Yeah. And you were talking about how you wanted to like be sensitive to people who see things in a certain way and, you know, were raised in a certain way. And I think that is really beautiful because, you know, we're not trying to shame people. That's exactly why you have those courses is to remove that shame. So you're understanding where they're coming from and helping them move forward through it so they get a good relationship with their kid because that's what it all comes down to. I mean, all the research that has ever been done is the parent is the most important person in their life. Mm -hmm. Yes, their peers are important. But the parent is really the most important influence in their life. Here's this interesting thing I often talk about. So the mother has a certain connection to a son and how she engages with a son. And the same thing goes for a daughter. They're very different. And the same thing goes for a father and a daughter and a father and a son. There's a different kind of parenting and a different kind of uh, experience. It's a big thing for me that if at all possible... I help fathers understanding their daughters and how to celebrate their daughters and being careful about how they talk with their daughters and understanding how important that re that relationship is for a father. And that at a certain point, mothers need to disengage from their sons and let them move on. So it's, it's a, it's a much bigger piece than just, you know, sex education. Mm -hmm. It's really about so much more. It's about self-esteem. It's about acceptance. It's, it's about celebration. It's about um, connection. Really setting the stage for them to have this connection, to be able to talk with each other and to feel comfortable through this transition. And you were talking about self-esteem as well. And you had mentioned like it's really important the way like mothers talk about themselves and and yeah. and parents just in general talking about themselves and going through life is like when someone talks badly about themselves, there's always this comparison between each other. And, um, you know, if someone's like, oh, I'm I've been gaining weight and I've, I feel really terrible and I want to get rid of this and get rid of this. And you look at your body and you're like, oh, well. I'm actually bigger than you. So should I feel shame about this? I guess I will put that shame on myself. And, and that's also a very interesting conversation. So what does the, the self-esteem sort of chats look like in your classes? There's a couple ways of doing it. One is it's woven throughout. Mm. You know, it's not just, it's like I don't, I don't 
continuously say abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. You know, it's everything is, it's woven. It's the, how we talk, how I talk with them and the, these conversations we have within class. And mm -hmm. I think in my younger class, it's woven into, mm. it, you know, celebrating who we are and how amazing our bodies are. And yes, some of the things that we're going through are pretty funny, but that's part of it. And helping moms to realize that what they say, their youngs pick up. What dads say, young girls pick up. I mean, really, self-esteem begins when you're born. Mm -hmm. So it is this, these ongoing, that's why little, even parents of young children need to be educated because the mm -hmm. things that they say or don't say can impact, you know, how they, what they internalize. And so where is the best place to get more information about what you do, your courses, what you offer? Um, yeah, give a, a little spiel about all the platforms that you're on. Oh, platforms. Okay, so I have a website. It's called birds and bees connection uh, dot com. It the it's it's very robust and it tells about all the classes. Now, obviously, a lot of my my in person classes are in South is in Southern California. Um, I do Zoom classes all over the country. We start at second and third grade, go through middle school. I'm about to launch all these online classes where if you're not in the neighborhood, you know, you'll be able to take these classes that will help you talk with your children. Let's see, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm, you know, yeah, all, the, all, all the social media. <laughs> but there's one other thing, you know, and this is important to me. One, I love doing this. I love having this conversation. I have the social media presence. But the one thing I tell everyone, you call me, I'll talk to you. This is my business and I am busy. But if you ever have a question, you call me and I'll give you my phone number. Aww. You call me and I'll talk to you because I think it's important to have someone, and you've both mentioned it, to be able to get answers. And sometimes these parents are really struggling with that. And so my phone number is 949-394-1556. And if you have a question, I pick up phones and I get back to people. I text people. I email people. I stay connected. And that's important to me mm -hmm. is I haven't turned this over to a bunch of people. I've kept it more intimate because it's important to me. This mm -hmm. is my passion. I ask the kids in the class as we go around, what's your superpower? I ask them all what their superpower is. And we said, you don't have to be in kill aliens or fly, <laughs> but what is it that you love to do that you're so passionate about? Mine is education. I love that. In this arena. Mm -hmm. That's my superpower. And I love to do it. Thank you so much for joining us, Leslie. That was awesome mm -hmm. um, we really appreciated having you on yeah and i'm gonna be texting you every night so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you up girl I, what's up <laughs> be my guest i love i'm you know i love to communicate and i love to be part of groups and you know your connection and we will we will find a way to 
make this broader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning. I love what you're doing. And I love that you're bringing it out of the closet and and shining a light onto it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And back at you as well. I think it's so important what you're doing and and really just like creating those bonds between, you know, kids and their parents. I think that's so important. It it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It could be a beautiful thing and something that really bonds you as as a a couple. So I think that's so important. So thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you you also. And we'll we'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Rag. That was Leslie Dixon from Birds and Bees Connection. And uh, go check out her videos. She's so cute in her videos. I know. I love talking to her. I think it was really nice to, as I said, chat with someone from a different country about a topic that is so relatable to everyone. We Mm. all go through puberty and we all have those awkward experiences navigating all those hormones and I love how she really focuses on the relationship building between you know a child parent a guardian and uh you know helps them navigate have having that really awkward conversation mm-hmm. yeah making, which shouldn't be awkward but that's yeah it's awkward that's exactly it is just making it less awkward and making it a normal conversation to have with your kids I love that and if you liked this week's episode, let us know what you liked about it by leaving us a review. Um, you can go to iTunes reviews, like the Apple podcast reviews, or wherever you get your podcast. You can give us five stars or two stars and tell us what we can do better. Or one star. I don't I don't care. Just let us know what we can do better. <laughs> Four is my favorite number, but I guess five is good. I guess five is okay. <laughs> and then feel free to reach out if you have any ideas of uh, topics that you want us to cover. We're happy to do that and see what we can find and we have a buy me a coffee account i like coffee do you like coffee? i love coffee i've been living off coffee i think i'm on like five (laughs) cups right now (laughs) how do you take your coffee crystal i just drink it uh with a little bit of soy milk Mm. or coconut milk Mm. a little bit you know, I don't like any too anything too sweet to my coffee, so I'm a pretty basic uh, coffee drinker. Nice. I love having a black cup of coffee in the morning because it makes me feel confident. Like, oh, I'm such a badass. It is that black <laughs> coffee, nothing in it. Um, but I don't do that very often. It's usually just like a sugar. And if it's around, oat milk is my go-to alternative oh, milk. Yeah. All right. But yeah, you can buy us a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash the rag podcast. Thanks for being on the rag. You're the best for listening. Period. Talk to you next cycle. Bloody tampons everywhere.